a Podcast One production. Hi, I'm Nat Kringudis. And I'm Cecilia Ramsdale. Welcome to The Wellness Collective, a podcast where we invite you to be part of our wellness community to share, learn and live better. We have touched upon it and come at it from different angles, that's for sure. But today, I think we've got somebody who is going to look at it from a different angle once again. Again. And that's the thing with anything in life. There's always various ways to come at it. And Mm. it's also not necessarily there's a right way. It's just your way. Well, do you know, that's interesting you said that. I heard someone talking the other day about the fact that a lot of us make up our mind about the way the world works when we're about 12 Right. And so we oh, yes. look at things through the glasses of a 12-year-old right up into a, you know, 40s, 50s, and often people don't even realise ever. Right. So if you go back to that episode with Dr. Miranda Miles and she's talking about donor yes. um, IVF, she talked about how she made her mind up when she was very, very young that she wouldn't have children naturally. She saw an article in a magazine. It talked about future fertility and she was like, well, I'm not going to be able to have a baby. And... That was her, that became her story. There you go. So interesting. So interesting. So I do think it's quite interesting too because I have been in every episode of The Wellness Collective and I still feel like there's a whole lot of things I don't know. (laughs) You've been in every episode. I've been in every episode. Yes, we both have. But you know more things than me. I'm supposed to be here to learn. Not really. So today we bring you a fertility educator to fill in the gaps. Yes. Hi, I'm Lucy Lyons and I am a fertility educator, but I'm actually an embryologist first and foremost. So trained in the lab, looking after sperm and eggs and making embryos. It's just like cooking up a recipe. You make it sound like in the lab, we just put it together and off we go. The mix master. Not quite that simple. Right. Okay. So tell us, now you're the fertility educator, but how did you get from being the person that mixes the 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 ingredients together to form the embryos to someone that realised that people needed more information and you had some of that information at your fingertips? It's something I've done for a long time whilst alongside my clinical work. So working clinically, lots of friends, friends of friends, friends of friends of friends contacting me, wanting more information, more support, more guidance through what they were going through, whether that was preconception when they were still trying naturally or whether that's going through IVF and people just seeking for someone, looking for someone they can trust. Why is it then that it's so mammoth, the idea of, you know, there's so many people that are facing assisted conception in some way, whether it's IVF or medically, whatever that might be. If there's so many people that are finding themselves needing to use this as a means to have children, it still seems like you're wading through muddy waters that, you know, why? It's because it's something that people don't want to talk about. And it's not that they're ashamed of it or they're trying to hide it. It's just that it's private. You don't want every Tom, Dick and Harry asking you how you're getting on this month, where where there's a huge campaign at the moment to stop asking people when they're having children. And so people don't just want to talk about it to anyone. So they sit at home and they Google and then they get overwhelmed with the information. And uh, something I've been thinking about a lot this last week is conditioning and what we're conditioned to do. And it comes back to lots of things, but conditioning around trust. Who do you trust to ask? Do you ask your GP? Do you ask your naturopath? Do you ask your chiropractor? Do you ask Aunt Bessie down the street? Mm. Who do you ask to give you the information? Who do you trust to give you that information? And what 
have you concluded? <laughs> <laughs> Look, it, it, it's, I haven't got to a conclusion yet, um, but that's, that's where answer. I want to put myself. <laughs> so that's where I put myself is when I find the conclusion to that, then it will be much easier to tell people, help people come to me and trust me because I don't know how people are conditioned to trust and who they're conditioned to trust. See, I love that because everyone has an opinion. And I think you do get to a point in your life where you realise people's opinions are just that, just their opinion. It doesn't mean they know more about something or that their idea of you or what you're capable of or whatever the situation is, is more valid than yours. Like that's a really big step to take in all aspects. But when you're faced with something that you really don't understand very well, that can be really difficult. It really can. And to know where to start, you know, often people will go to their GP as the first point of call. And that's, that's a perfectly legitimate thing to do. But if your GP has seven minutes to spend with you in a Medicare-funded bulk billing clinic and you walk in for seven minutes and you say, we're having trouble conceiving, their formula is is very, well, their treatment is very formulaic and it may not actually be what you need. And to, so to then try and find someone who can give you the help that you need for your specific situation and guide you to the right person is impossible. Well, we've covered that a lot in our episodes of the Wellness Collective in a more general sense. You know, everyone's individual and not everything works for every person. So I guess fertility is one of those things where we all just start off thinking, oh, this should be a breeze, except for Miranda who decided I actually don't think people think that anymore. I actually think people approach fertility thinking this, I don't know how this is going to go. I I, that's And look, I could be, I could be completely skewed with actually. I, I was like that. I was like, oh, this might take forever. I took a month. <laughs> right. And I was exactly the same. And I didn't know. And this is my line of work. Mm. You know, I remember saying to Chris, I don't know if I've never been pregnant before. I don't know how long this is going to take. But, but that's another problem is that some people approach it totally from the other end and think this is going to be really hard. I need to take a million supplements and I need to go and see 15 doctors. And then they focus completely on it and they start tracking their cycles with one of the 7,000 apps that's available, 95% of which were recently proven to not work. <laughs> it can't work. I mean, I've said that forever. It can't work. It guesses most of them unless you're actually entering... Physical data about your like body temperature and it's being tracked accurately. Mm. Yeah, Yeah. even then, and all it's going to do is is increase your anxiety. And all the studies say that stress doesn't cause infertility, infertility causes stress. But absolutely, stress causes cortisol to rise in your body and that's a hormone and that's going to impact how your other hormones work. So it, it, it has to impact your fertility and how many of us have heard the story of people who uh-huh. relaxed or gave up or went, went to on Bali. a holiday <laughs> and got pregnant but you can't tell people who are struggling with fertility that because they'll punch you in the face. <laughs> but that's very much part of um, what you're doing and certainly what we would do in the clinic is we need to, it's not so much about the physical, it's about the emotional health and how we can change the belief to being, you can do this, your body can do this. And it's exactly the same as what you're doing by connecting someone with the right person is you're giving them that hope. Totally. And and it's the balance between the two things. So I come from a very medical background and a very scientific background as an embryologist. I'm very much based in the science. But I think we we have to acknowledge that there's two very big portions to fertility and one of them is the science and the medicine and we have to get that lined up and we have to get those ducks in a row, but we also have to focus on the other bit and, and that's 
Yeah. Everything else. Everything else. <laughs> Everything else. And there's a multitude of ways of doing that. I love that you're incorporating both because I think that's also part of the issue with this is people feel like, well, if I want to do IVF, I have to go and see the IVF specialist. But then do I need to do Chinese medicine to get myself ready? So I need to find someone who can do that. And then I don't know, do well, I need a nutritionist or like what else to Like there's all these parts to it when... Well, that's what we're saying. It's stressful when you're... And no, but what like I'm that. saying is that for Lucy, bringing that all together yeah. is like an excellent place to start. I find it very interesting that patients will often say, well, how much sex do I need to have to make a baby? Yeah. And I'll be like, actually, not just, that much. Just the once, once will do it. Just one time, actually. <laughs> just the once will do you it. You know, it's, we do. We get fixated on all of those things. Yep. And, and the timing and the, you know, we were, it, again, it comes back to the conditioning I was talking about before. We were raised on the movies where the girl's trying to have a, they're trying to have a baby and she rings her husband and says, come home, yes. I'm ovulating right now. And he's got to race home from work right now. That's just bullshit. Yes. Can I yeah. say bullshit? Yeah, you can. <laughs> Yes. Got to call so, it when you see it. <laughs> so let's talk about embryos because, well, that's kind of how we got here. Yep. Literally. Totally. <laughs> all of us. That's right. We all I were often, one. I often feel sad that I never saw my own children as embryos. I've seen everyone else's children yes. as embryos, but I never saw my own. Really? Well, do they look any different? They Is do. one embryo the same as the next? I have two little children in Rockhampton who probably are have their own social media accounts now. They're not really children anymore, but they were incubator buddies and they knew each other in the incubator. They didn't. They don't even know each other now. They've How never funny. met, but they were side by side in the incubator. There you go. With different families. Different families, completely different dishes, obviously, yeah. but in the same lid of the, of the incubator. So they were incubator buddies. They were created on the same ICSI rig on the same day by the same person and they grew side by side in the incubator and then they went into their respective mummies and off to their respective places and they don't even know each other. But I watch them side by side on Facebook and I'm like, no, oh, I, I knew you before you met your Oh, mom. that's so amazing. <laughs> so I love that. I mean, what people will come into the clinic, patients often, and they'll be very excited about their A-grade embryos. Yep. And what does that mean for people that don't know what embryos... Like, well, first well, of all, an embryo is obviously the formation of what happens, yep. you know, at sperm conception. Sperm and an egg, is that, yes. is that the actual correct term? When correct. sperm and the egg so, come together, it's the embryo? Correct. So when firm and speg... Firm and speg. <laughs> <laughs> yep, get your firm and speg in order. When sperm and egg come together first, initially they're called a zygote, and then once they start to divide, that's an embryo. Um, and the embryos are graded all the way along uh, right through to when they're transferred. Now, the embryo grading, I don't think that that clients should be given a grade of their embryo. If the embryo is suitable to transfer, then it's suitable to transfer. Um, when you start getting fixated on grading of embryos, people go straight to, oh, my God, am I, if, if it's a grade C embryo, am I going to have an ugly baby? Um, <laughs> well, this is the thing. That's where your human mind goes, doesn't exactly. it? Because and we're used to structures for grading of things, yep. meaning the value is different. Yep. So if you're putting that onto a child... Yep, what does totally. that mean? And and in the lab, we will often refer to embryos as ugly embryos or beautiful embryos or, you know, clean embryos or dirty embryos or whatever. But at the end of the day, if it's suitable for transfer, it's suitable, it's, it potentially could create a baby. I want to know what, what an ugly embryo looks like compared to a 
a dirty embryo. (laughs) So embryos, as they're growing, the cells divide. And sometimes as the cells divide, they spit out bits of the the cytoplasm, the the gooey stuff inside the the cell. So the the embryo itself is still housed within the shell of the original egg and it stays within that housing until it hatches out around about day five or six, um, where day zero is the day of egg collection. So during that process from zero to day five, as the embryo is dividing, it spits out the little bits that aren't quite right. Um, And through the new time-lapse imagery that's in IVF labs now, we can watch embryo as they spit out bits and then reincorporate them. Um, whereas we used to just get snapshot images of how the embryo was at that particular two seconds that we took it out of the incubator to look at it. Now that there's this time-lapse imagery, we can see that they have the capability to correct the problems in the embryos. So if we judge it on day two as being a two-cell, five-plus um fragmentation, that embryo may very well correct itself by day three and be a nice eight cell on day three. Right. So, the so more it's about the way it's developing. It's the way it's developing. So when I was working clinically um, 10 years ago, as an example, we I would give the embryo a score on each day and then by transfer day, I would have a cumulative score to give the embryo at that point. And the one with the highest cumulative score was the one that we transferred first. Okay, right. That makes sense. Hey, just on that, So day zero is the day the egg is collected. Correct. What about frozen eggs? What happens with them? So with frozen eggs, Mm. um, day zero is the day they're thawed. So they're frozen on the day that they're collected and then they're thawed on that same day. With frozen embryos, they might be frozen on day two, day three, day four, day five, or rarely day four, but day five or day six. Um, And then the woman is prepared so that when the embryo is thawed, her uterus is at the same day stage. So it's still five days after ovulation or their induced ovulation um, so that the uterus is in the right stage for the embryo that's been thawed. Wow. All the science is coming together here. (laughs) Mm -hmm. It's quite extraordinary. So if somebody is then presented with a average grade embryo, they still have a great chance of conception. Totally. So I have a story that I tell all the time about a woman who came through when I was working in Melbourne here and she had three eggs collected. Three or four embryologists spent two hours trying to find sperm to do the ICSI. We only found two sperm in all of that time. So that's lots of man hours Mm -hmm. of searching. We only found two. Two. So only two little squiggles. Yeah. So only (laughs) two of the sperm could, two of the eggs could be injected. Only one of them fertilized. And on day two, it was the ugliest embryo with so much fragmentation, not enough cells, just hideous. And we rang the doctor and we said, look, we're going to cancel this transfer today. This embryo is terrible. We need to throw it in the bin. And the doctor rang the patient and the patient said, look, this is it. This is my last chance. I just want to have this one back for closure and then I'm done. Mm -hmm. And that child's now 15. Yay! Totally happens though. It just totally happens. Yeah, absolutely. I love too that you're going to chuck it in the bin. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, mate, you nearly didn't make it. You're nearly nearly in Werribee. Let's not tell him. Let's not tell him. (laughs) Wow, that's incredible. So with that too, in the same vein, I guess, you know, let's talk about egg collection because that's another big topic that Mm -hmm. a lot of patients will be like, wow, I got 30 and you're like, oh. Yeah, that's not so good. (laughs) That's not so great. You know, why? Because it's quality, not quantity. If you're, I'll let Lucy talk to this. Yeah. Look, if you have more than 20 eggs collected, Mm -hmm. there's every chance that um, 
a lot of those eggs won't be suitable for injection. And why are they not suitable? Because you're overstimulated. So um, in, in, in any um, natural egg collection mm-hmm. cycle, natural ovulatory cycle, a certain number of eggs are recruited at the start of the cycle. So your body sends out like a... a job application, if you like, a job inter- mm-hmm. yeah, job Love advertisement. Mm-hmm. Who wants to be the egg that gets ovulated this month? And a lot of eggs put up their hand and then the process of IVF is the process of encouraging all of those eggs to get the job. But at the end of the day, not everybody's suitable for the job. And so if you collect, if you have too many applicants for the position, there's going to be more applicants that aren't suitable for the job. There you go. Wow, my mind is melting. This is where I have those sort of stories as well where patients will come in and say, I only got five. And I'm like, don't worry about it. Just Mm. keep going. It only takes one. It only takes takes one. one. But how how often you hear that? So I think it is important to have that that conversation because I think a lot of – we get hung up on the numbers. We get hung up on the grade. We get conditioned again to think that – there's a there's a perfect outcome, and and we also need to celebrate every outcome. And we, and I'm on Instagram. There's a huge trying to conceive community on Instagram, mm. and people chronically overshare information. But they and so they see everybody else's, and they start to compare themselves. Of and course. we're conditioned to mm. compare. Yeah. Um. And so they compare how many eggs they got with how many their friend got, and did their friend get a successful outcome from that? And it, it's people want to second guess. They want to know what the solution is going to be, and it, it's something I struggle with or push a lot in my work is that you we're so used to follow if I go down this pathway, I'm going to end up at that destination. And that doesn't work that way with fertility. You can add X and Y as many times as you like and every time you'll get a different answer. Don't you think we're conditioned though that we want answers for everything? Absolutely. Yeah, of course. And this is one big area that you don't get necessarily and answers in and that that's is why it's so difficult. The main bottom line of what I do is telling people you, you just got to let this one go. Mm-hmm. You have to just sit back. What you do need to do is start work really hard at the beginning to make sure you've chosen a fertility specialist that you love and trust and then you just need to sit back and let them get on with it. So before we take a break, I just want to quickly talk to that. Choosing the right specialist, that's obviously now what you've found is so necessary. Absolutely. I guess some of us would approach it as, well, they all do the same thing, don't they? At the end of the day, they all get sperm, they all get egg, Mm -hmm. they put it together and off we go. And some are more expensive, so they must be better. (laughs) Yeah, and that's a common misconception. I love using that word. I love that Um, too. So what is it then? Why is it so important to find the right specialist and what makes the right specialist for Cecilia different to me? There are so many categories. Some people want to jump in with both feet and try absolutely anything, even if there's only a 1% chance. If it was a horse, you wouldn't put money on it, but they want to give it a shot. And those people are going to be better aligned with some specialists than others. Other people are very conservative. They just want tried and tested. They've only got one pot of money to use and they just want tried and tested methods. Some people want a fertility specialist who's going to consult on the sofa with a box of tissues. Some people want one who's going to sit behind their computer and bark instructions at them. It, It really varies so much from one person to another. And all of those things come in to come back to trust in the end. And you need to connect with your fertility specialist in a way that you can just let go and let them get on with it. You don't want to leave your fertility specialist appointments and have to go home and Google and to understand what happened and then come back with another list of questions and second guess them. Or crying. You don't want to leave crying. Absolutely not crying. <laughs> crying is not good. <laughs> My mum tells a story about when she was pregnant with me and the obstetrician said to her, now, Mrs., 
I am having this baby. Leave it to me. Oh, gosh. <laughs> but see, some people <laughs> love the that. the 70s. <laughs> you know, my, my sister and I often laugh about gynecologists. She wants a gynecologist too. She might invite around for Sunday roast. I want a gynecologist that I am never going to run into. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you do your job and off you pop. Yeah, you yeah. Hey, I don't want to run into you at the shops. No. That's embarrassing. No. Whereas she does. <laughs> yeah. Weird. Yeah, he's seen your pink bits or she's yeah. seen your pink bits. Anyway, <laughs> let's take a quick break and we'll be back right after this. We're here on The Wellness Collective, this episode with our special guest, Lucy Lyons, who is a fertility educator, which I'm getting the feeling you're the person that brings all the pieces of the puzzle together. You've got the right feeling there. (laughs) It's a new thing. You were saying to us before we got started that you're really the only person in this space at the minute. Yeah. So there are a number of people out there who will call themselves a fertility coach. Mm -hmm. And often those people have life coaching skills. They're good at helping you balance a lot of that stuff. And they certainly have a place. Um, I come from a background of science embryology, as I said before. Um, So what I'm trying to do is help people to understand what they're going through. I think if we have a better understanding of what's going on, we're more likely to surrender our trust to the people who are treating us and then they can get on with just treating us. I also think though, Lucy, you've got your, well, for lack of better description, your fingers across so many specialists and you've dealt with them yep. as well yep. personally. So you, you, you've got this, you know, ability to be able to see, oh, John and Lisa over there, I can see what they're, they're you know, personality together is like and what they need. That's, you know, going yeah. but is best suited to Dr. Google, not Dr. Google. Not, <laughs> Dr. Never, Dr. Never Dr. Google. Dr. Google. <laughs> I think he knows a thing or two about breeding. No, yeah. but you know what I mean? Yeah. So, but I think, you know, that is so important in itself. I know that, you know, patients will come into the clinic and ask for my best recommendations and I'll only go by um, the experience of either if I've, you know, had lots of patients that have seen them or personal one-on-one, but certainly nowhere near what you've been, you've been in there with it. You but know? I think that's also quite difficult when you're a professional and you don't deal one-on-one with other professionals in your field because people do ask you for advice or recommendations. But if you've never worked with that person, you just know of their reputation, that can be quite difficult for you because your reputation then is totally. on the line. What? So you're coming at it from a different perspective. Yeah, completely. And I think um, people often say to me, who would you send your friends to? And I said, well, it depends who the friend is. Yeah, mm. absolutely. Um, I do have a pool of doctors that I would use more often than others um, because of my own experience and and the behind the scenes stuff that I know. And people often say to me, who would you never send anyone to? And I'm not (laughs) going to share that information. That's not fair for them. But um, I I do um, take a lot of things into account when I'm choosing where to send people. And I usually give people a shortlist. So instead of Googling the 60 fertility specialists that there are in Melbourne or 60, more than 60, um, I give them a shortlist of three or four or five and say, go home and look at those five and then come back and talk to me. Also, in my experience, when you actually do have the right fertility specialist, that's when you actually get the outcome. You know, you see patients, I always say, if you're not comfortable, it's not going to work. You know, it's just not because it's just not conducive with what you're trying to achieve. Let's change gears a little bit if we can, because there's something else that you're really passionate in which ties into this, and that is looking at the future fertility of our, whether it's our children or just the population at large. Why? So doing the two lines fertility stuff, I have been involved with a lot of people in the preconception phase Mm -hmm. and talking to them through some of that timing and and stuff. And I've discovered that there is way more than I ever really 
understood that people don't know about their bodies until such time as they're trying to conceive. And it occurred to me that that was perhaps a little bit late. If you're 37, 38 Mm. and you're suddenly trying to pull together all this stuff to get a baby, time is ticking. And if we had that information as general knowledge from our youth or even our childhood, if we're going to go back another step, then maybe we're on the front foot. So I started by looking at trying to educate 15 to 25-year-olds and I think as you, Nat, yourself know that's quite a challenging area to get into Um, and as I started doing that, I have a lot of nieces and nephews who are in that age group, I thought, you know what, I actually need to go back another step because as you were saying before, these kids are conditioned already. They've Mm. already got their picture of what the world looks like and whether they can carry their plastic water bottle around with them and and all these various different things that impact your fertility. If I go back another step and I educate parents and carers about the things that they are doing that are impacting their children's future fertility, maybe we can close the door before the horse bolts. This is so interesting that this conversation isn't being had. I mean, we did an episode with the professor uh, from Melbourne University called Professor Andrew Pask, and he's talking about male fertility in particular Little boys being exposed to estrogens, but also things like BPA in coffee cups and cans and things like that. Sales receipts. Sales receipts. Sales receipts. On any shiny bit of paper that you handle, sales receipts, fax machines. Think back to the 80s. Oh, wow. Grabbing those fax machine papers off the fax machine. That's all covered in BPA. And the research is all coming out of Melbourne Uni um, and being spread across the world. In the USA, there is a group called the Environmental Working Group who have identified, I think it's 1,200, it might be 1,400 ingredients in personal care products. We're talking cosmetic, mm-hmm. shampoo, conditioner, um, makeup, all that stuff that are impacting hormones. Anything that impacts your hormones and disrupts your hormones is going to affect your fertility. And people think, oh, yes, but I'm not trying to have a baby now. And, okay, that's great. Children, we're we're born juvenile and children spend a lot of years growing up and during that time they're laying down all of the machinery that they're going to use later. So with boys, for example, they go through um, adrenage, um, anywhere between four and eight, I think, Mm -hmm. um, where their adrenal glands are kicking in, they're starting to produce a hormone that looks very much like testosterone that tells their testicles to make Leydig cells and Leydig cells are the cells that make sperm. Mm -hmm. So if they don't lay down those cells properly because their hormones are interrupted, they're not going to be able to produce enough sperm. Right. So you get these men, fully grown men, that have no idea this has happened. Because of an impact when they were children. Yeah. And the same goes for girls. You know, we're born with all the eggs we'll ever have and they're fairly well protected. We're not concerned about that too badly but they're still going to be impacted. And girls go through adrenaline as well, not quite to the same extent that boys do, but it's all hormones and it's all disruption. And and exactly as you say, BPA, phthalates, parabens, all these things are impacting our kids. I think one of the things I'm seeing a lot in the clinic, and it's probably just on the back of my latest book, is mm. a lot of um, young girls presenting with early onset yep. puberty. It's It seems to be the flavour of the year for me. Yeah. And these, these, this generation, the children who are here now are the most exposed ever. Mm-hmm. And the reason for that is because we go for convenience. We're so busy. We're, you know, we just want the easiest, quickest thing. We want takeaway coffee. We want to give our kids a baby chino because it's quick and they're crying and that's easy. And, you know, plastic toys are cute and bright and lovely. And something like one in five toys tested in the US had unacceptable levels of phthalates in them. 
But mm. this is the thing. No one knows that they're doing the wrong thing. I mean, I hate to think how many baby chinos I gave to my son. And and we don't want to not guilt knowing. people. We don't want to guilt people. It's, and, and but we, when we you have, know. That's right. And we have enough guilt in our lives as it is and mm. all these shoulds that we should be doing as parents and we shouldn't give them Maccas and we shouldn't do this. And I, I think when, when you're armed with the knowledge, you can make those choices yourself. And if you don't have the knowledge, you can't feel guilty about it because... So the thing that I think that's important here also is though, you know, like you said, you might be at a point in your life where you're not having any more children or, you know, that's long gone. But also the best way to influence this next generation is by being the example. So they're going to see what you're doing. If you're sitting there saying, you know, we're watching my daughter saying, oh, you need to use this type of deodorant. Meanwhile, my husband's using, you know, she (laughs) wants the spray, but he, but we won't let her, but he's in there, you know, spraying up a storm. We've got to be able to set the example. So Plus, it doesn't just impact fertility, it impacts hormones. Hormones and so, everything, you know, hormone-dependent cancers. Yes, um, menopause, how all many, of that. You know, I say in my in my masterclass that this is information you will get if you ever find yourself sitting in front of an endocrinologist, an oncologist or a fertility specialist. Mm. Now, I don't, I don't want to sit in front of any of those people. No. And I don't want my children to sit in front of any of those people. So if there are things that I can do that might make a difference, mm. I'm going to do them. It's not expensive. It's not going to change my way of life that much. And it comes back to conditioning. What am I conditioning yep. my children to think is normal? You know, do I want them to walk into the house and go, mm, it smells clean in here when actually it's everything's covered in bleach and synthetic fragrances? Or do I want them to just know it's clean when it doesn't smell bad? Mm. <laughs> I don't know. I'd like them to know that because, you know, it usually does. <laughs> um, also, I think one of the other side effects of being aware of this stuff is, you know, if you choose to have a coffee in the cafe, it's, what, 10 minutes? Mm-hmm. Yep. You don't have to... Take the takeaway. Take the takeaway. Sit for 10 minutes. Now we're almost like, if you don't have your keep cup, we're almost like, hmm, you're that person. No, I I, I I think the movement should be. I did get a takeaway today. It was a bit judgy of myself. (laughs) You were a bit judgy because you had your BPA fixed. Oh, well, you know. (laughs) You'll be right. I didn't have my kids with me. Right. right. There you go. Exactly. (laughs) No judgment. So let's just talk quickly about the, you know, we're talking about future fertility. What about the implications then of assisted conception on future fertility? Because I know it's a subject that no one really wants to talk about, but I think we need to talk about it for two reasons. One, we need to be real. Two, there's things we can do that are still going to help to support fertility. And if we don't don't know those things or we can actually be more diligent based on the the circumstances, then I think that's positive. Yep. Do we know yet? I I think it's twofold. I think it depends on the reason for the infertility. Um, I I think what is talked about a lot is if there is a male factor infertility due to a Y chromosome abnormality um, that can be overcome, then there is every chance that the sons of that conception will also have that Y chromosome abnormality and that will be passed on to the sons. Obviously, the daughters will get an X from their dad, so they won't get it. The sons will get a Y from their dad, so they will. Um, And there is some discussion about whether those couples should have pre-implantation genetic diagnosis so that they can select the girls so that the condition is not passed on. If the reason for the infertility is something like PCOS, endometriosis um, or an unexplained infertility, then we really don't know what the long-term impact of that's going to be. And PCOS and endometriosis, there is some indication that those things might be genetic. I have been reading a lot of information over the last year or two that indicate that they're hormonal. Obviously, they're hormonal because they impact with hormones, Mm -hmm. but that they're caused 
by an endocrine disruption early in life. So it comes back to the future fertility stuff that mm. I'm talking about. If we can wow. condition our children and and help them not to be exposed to some of those endocrine disruptors, maybe we can help them from developing things like PCOS and endometriosis. Not to discount the people who have it now, it is It was a different ball game though. It's a different I think, ball game. you know, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, if you had a missing period, you were just put on the pill. That's just what totally. we did. That's no one's fault. That's just all we knew. Yep. Whereas if you have an a, a 18-year-old or a 20-year-old, actually I'd say 20-year-old with a missing period, then we would investigate. And totally. it still takes time, but there's far more investigation now. Whereas if once you upon end a time, up with the right person. Correct. But the once upon a time, well, it still, as they say, takes up to eight years to get a diagnosis at this point in time, which is ridiculous. But, you know, we would, we would at least, there's more education around this. So we yep. can't beat ourselves up, but there is absolutely so much we should be doing to protect yep. our young girls' totally. fertility. That actually in, really starts with your fertility, though, you know, yep. it really does. It really does. And and often in the first questions when you do see a fertility, if you do end up with a fertility specialist, is what's your family history? Mm. Um, because they're trying to gather as much information about genetic causes for infertility as they can. But um, coming back to the, the PCOS and the endometriosis stuff, um, there is a whole class of endocrine disrupting chemicals that are called obesogens. And they actually impact the way that we metabolise and, and manage sugars and fats in our body. And what do they present in? Obesogens, where do you find obesogens, them? Obesogens, BPA is an obesogen mm-hmm. and phthalate. Right, so the plastics. So the plastics, yeah. I'll tell you something very interesting before we wrap up. Um, I had a patient who um, they were doing IVF and they kept only having um, outcomes of girl embryos. Yep. And they wanted a boy. Oh, dear. And so they came to me and said, can you help us with gender selection? I'm like, well... (laughs) That's not, you know, we can, we can, we can, <laughs> sure. sure. There's certain things you can do that you want can to sort of influence things. Anyway, point is this though, I started to investigate further and further and further and the husband had a, he was a, um, he had Crohn's and so he was on a lot of medication and so then I posed the idea, I was like, hang on a minute, what about if you, this, the reason that you're only making female embryos is actually because of potentially the medication that you're on that's influencing the outcome. And so it was really interesting because nobody would say yes to that idea. And of course, we don't know. But I was like, if I look at all of the factors. Mm, that was the one that was standing out. That was the one out. thing that was standing out. And it's going to come down to your genetics and so many other things. But I was like, you know, we just don't know the implications. And I can't wait. They're about to go through the next cycle. So I can't wait to see what they get. But we've completely changed his whole, pro- whole protocol. Oh, so he did it. Oh, yeah, and they, the outcomes were amazing. Like, they're both so healthy going into this next mm. round. Um, and, and it's not that they were not healthy, but they were, I mean, they're like, we just feel 100 times better. We, yeah, you know, wow. Their body's working properly. And when your yeah. body works properly, your outcomes are different. So, you know, we can approach fertility from a unhealthy state and we might get there in the end. Yep. But when we actually approach it from, you know, that state where we're looking at all factors like Lucy's talking about, the chance of the outcome happening sooner. I would like to see a time where in the initial consultation with the fertility specialist, they say, yep, we're happy to do some assisted conception, but first I'd like you to go and do this course for three Do you know that there was a clinic in New Zealand that had a preconception, Mm an IVF clinic in New Zealand? Love it. They shut it down because the outcomes of the IVF fell. Really? 
Oh, well, because, because they didn't because need the IVF. They didn't need the IVF. So the people <laughs> who were going to conceive, yes. they only ended up yes. with the people who didn't, re- who weren't going to well, the, the, yeah. be so successful. It's not yeah. sorry. The outcome wasn't that the IVF wasn't successful. They didn't. They not, didn't get as the many patients closed, through. The wasn't they didn't get as many patients coming through. And, and that's viable. that's that, that's the bottom line. They won't. If people look after their health and get healthy, they might actually spontaneously conceive, <laughs> and they might not have to spend ten grand doing it. Lucy, where can people find you? They can find me on Facebook as Two Lines Fertility, on Instagram, Two Lines Fertility, on the web, www.twolinesfertility.com.au and Future Fertility yeah. Safe. Awesome. So quickly before we go, there's reviews. There's new oh, reviews and I love reading brilliant. those. But this one is a bit funny. Yeah. But I'm going to read it anyway because I feel like it's appropriate because we were just talking about how hard it is <laughs> to educate not hard how not it's not hard to educate teenagers, but teenagers aren't the audience, the parents are the audience. Uh-huh. Yes, this is what Lucy was saying yep. before. Yeah. Okay, so here's the review. Are you ready for this? Book on its way. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Someone's sending I've ordered us a book. your book. <laughs> Beautiful you, and we'll pass it on to my daughters to read, and I'll keep it for my granddaughter. I don't know that she listened to the podcast, but it's great that we're educating this. <laughs> oh, I like that. It doesn't matter. <laughs> Maybe she Oh, I don't. I don't mind yeah, that anyway. she might not have. Yeah, that's I just fine. thought it was appropriate. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> all right. We need. We have. We have been talking for a long time. We need to. We do wrap this up before we do go. If you would like to leave us a review, we love it. And how many stars should you put? <laughs> Always just five. Uh, absolutely. And please, if you're listening to us right now, which of course you are, because I just said that. <laughs> Look around you. Where are you? Take a photo. Send it to us through our Instagram, Collective the Wellness. We want to see. We had we someone share send us one. She was knitting in the uh, Rockies yep, in Canada. Yep, yep. I was like, "Woo! We are global." <laughs> Very exciting. <laughs> Lucy Lyons, thanks for joining us. Yes. Pleasure. And until next time, we hope you're feeling a little bit happier, healthier, and better. 